Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Happy New Year to you, John. It is January 2nd as we record this. Any New Year's resolutions, uh, gambling-related or otherwise, that you can share? Uh, well, Eric, I don't every year, but this year I, I do again. Um, I resolved to lose those same 20 pounds that I've shaken off four or five times in the last 15 or 20 years. So um, I think the older you get, the more of a gamble it is not to lose them, frankly. So uh, let's check back in mid-year and see how that personal wager is going. Okay. <laughs> it's an interesting way to look at it as a, a gamble, a gamble with your health not to lose the weight. Yeah, I can see it is. that. Yep. Uh, well, I, I have a serious resolution uh, on my part, not gambling related, but uh, I'm going to aim to tweet less about politics in 2020. This is going to be a very ugly, unpleasant year, whichever side of the fence you may be on, I shall strive not to contribute to the ugliness. Uh, my my other resolutions are uh, no desserts. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. I make that resolution almost every year. Um, and uh, no eating after 8 p.m. I'm pretty bad yeah. about post-dinner bowls of cereal, so uh, mm-hmm. need to work on that. But gambling-wise, uh, not much for me. I had a profitable year in various forms of gambling in 2019. I'm mm-hmm. just going to keep on the same path, uh, playing and betting within my bankroll. Uh, so my gambling resolution is not to do anything that causes me to make a gambling resolution in 2021. Yeah, how bad can a bowl of cereal be? What what does this uh, frosted flakes or something? Or, uh... <laughs> no, I don't even eat the, the the extremely sugary ones. They're the <laughs> quote unquote healthy cereals. No yeah. cereal is really all that healthy. But even so, the problem <laughs> is eating it right before bed, where your body doesn't have any time to burn it off. So I don't know. If it's a uh, Cheerios or Wheaties, you're good. <laughs> so you're basically encouraging me to just uh, to just break my resolution already. There's, they're just, uh, there. There's a lot of vitamins in there. It's pretty good stuff. And uh, I mean, if you're not hungry, don't, you know, don't automatically. Eat, but uh, right. you could, you could do worse. All right. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to worry that you're a bad influence, John. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 72 of Gamble On as we kick off our third calendar year of the podcast. If you missed any of our previous 71 episodes, including uh, the first podcast interview with James Holsauer after he began his Jeopardy run, as well as interviews with the likes of Daniel. Daniel Negreanu, Morton Anderson, Doug Kazarian, Senator Ray Lesniak, and many more. They're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Just click subscribe and you'll never miss an episode. And please take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating. Yeah, and coming up a little later on the show, everybody, uh, we'll be joined by new U.S. Bets colleague, Chris Altruda. Uh, he's completing a company rite of passage by joining us on the podcast here. Um, Chris is going to talk to us about his career in sports journalism, uh, the expanding uh, sports gambling scene in the Midwest, uh, which is exploding, really, and more. Uh, first, we're coming off a nine-day break from podcasting due to the holidays, so obviously there's plenty of news to cover in the world of gambling, and let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. I declared a couple of times on recent episodes that I thought Nevada's sports betting handle might decline slightly in November and that New Jersey, once it posted a record $562.7 million in handle, might win the month. Uh, But on all fronts, I was wrong. Nevada released its November numbers last Friday, and the handle was $614.1 million, a new state record surpassing March's $596.8 million. The handle is up 5.7% over the previous November, and the revenue last month was $31 million, which means the hold was about 5%. Interestingly, total gaming win in Nevada in November was $937.4 million, down about 3% year over year. So while sports betting is growing, 
gaming overall in the gambling capital of America is not. Nevada has now seen $5.3 billion in sports betting handle through the first 11 months of the year, already surpassing the total for all of 2018. Uh, football was, as you'd expect, the big attraction in November, generating $384.5 million of the handle, and that's not even counting parlays, most of which were centered around football last month. Uh, basketball was in second place with $166.6 million in handle. Uh, John, you were right to doubt my doubting of Nevada's ability to top New Jersey during a football month. Any other takeaways from this revenue report? Uh, yes, we're naive enough to think that there's hardly anybody who wants to go to Las Vegas for Thanksgiving when they could be with their beloved family. So that's uh, yeah, that's, yep. that's, that's where it's off on that one. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, you know, total gaming win is really a fickle mistress in isolation like this. So I'm not worried about those poor Las Vegas gambling operators. Uh, they'll be back with a vengeance soon enough. Um, as for sports betting revenue specifically, I, at least anecdotally, it seems reasonable to wonder if there are a lot of tourists who have picked up on legal sports betting at home, whether they're already doing it. Or or they're at least hearing about their state's efforts. And uh, the sports book may be coming a place to try a fun wager when they were out there beyond just the slot machines or the roulette tables or what have you. Yeah, I mean, that ex- that right there is exactly what what the big bottom line here is, is that, you know, Nevada's sports betting handle and revenue keep growing as more and more states legalize, which shows that the power of taking sports betting out of the shadows and maybe removing some of the stigma, getting more people all over the country into it, more than outweighs the potential negative of competition created for Nevada on that front. Um, It's worth noting that the Nevada Commission doesn't release a breakdown of land-based versus mobile. Um, We assume it's nowhere close to the 85% mobile split we see in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but unfortunately, we we really don't know. Um, I was thinking a little bit about why overall gaming revenue is down, uh, and I don't have any great theories, um, but it does cross my mind to mention all the nickel and diming in Las Vegas, you know, like the the lowering the the blackjack odds and, and so forth, that that stuff could be catching up with the city a little bit. Just anecdotally, I've heard a lot of people who've reached their breaking point with blackjack and uh, in turn with gambling in Vegas because, uh, you know, it's just so hard to have a, a long session at the tables uh, that doesn't end in defeat. Um, it's not really a theory that I'm endorsing about why revenue is down. It's just sort of a note to consider, maybe. Well, resorts fees. And then there's been some talk about, uh, you know, charging for parking, which is, uh, you know, an absolute out- outrage to everybody that lives out there. Right. But uh, I'm going to just call it that anyone who had an exact on Las Vegas fading after losing their sports betting monopoly and the league suffering i don't know at all um you can tear that ticket right in half i think <laughs> at this point <laughs> yeah definitely all right we go from nevada our most entrenched gambling state to tennessee a state with no legal gambling history although that's going to change soon we interviewed jennifer roberts on the show a few weeks ago as she was packing up and leaving nevada to move to nashville and take over as director of sports gaming regulation in tennessee a state that doesn't have casinos but has legalized online only sports betting. The draft rules for sports betting were released on November 22nd, and increasingly in the weeks that have followed, there has been some pushback on some of them, most notably with a six-page letter circulated last week in which Sports Wagering Advisory Council member Thomas H. Lee speaks up about some of the proposed regulations. The big one that's gotten attention is the capped payout in which Tennessee sportsbooks will apparently be required to keep at least 15% of all wagers, returning no more than 85% to betters. 
Lee writes that it, quote, seems arbitrarily drawn out of context with the sports gaming industry in America and is therefore worthy of vigorous discussion, end quote. Uh, Lee goes into more detail and notes that in most sports betting states, the hold is about 7%. Uh, We're in the midst of a public comment period uh, when Roberts and the Tennessee Education Lottery are looking for feedback before any rules are finalized. And the deadline for that period was supposed to be December 23rd, but it's been pushed back to next Monday, January 6th. We must note that the rules were drafted before Roberts was hired, and some in the industry have optimism that now that she's there... Uh, the capped payout, as well as a bizarre parlay rule that would turn a push into a loss, that those will ultimately be changed. John, what's your level of optimism on this on that front? And what are your thoughts on Tennessee releasing these messy proposed regulations in the first place? Uh, well, you know, legal gambling really is uncharted territory for them. And uh, I think it's important that somebody hired Roberts for her extensive expertise. So that's a good sign, right? Mm-hmm. And they, I, I expect they're going to want to listen to her. Um, but I think the biggest key is, you know, I expect her to be able to explain the ramifications of the preliminary hold figure they're talking about to 15%. You know, if a legislator cares about trying to make a dent in the legal market there, you know, then this is not going to work. If they don't care, they should, but if they don't, and they're just focused more on sports betting as sort of another version of a lottery ticket and let's see how much money we can we can hold from the customers. Um, you know, that customer base likely to be significantly different. But, uh, you know, we've seen Pennsylvania with their sky high tax rates, you know, hasn't yet led to the brutal payouts or some of the half fast sports books, shall we say, uh, as far as I've heard. So, you know, I guess we can let things play out here. But I, I, I'd i be cautiously optimistic. I think they uh, threw some trial balloons out here and they're already learning which ones are going to get shot down. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a difference between high tax rates that might that will limit the amount that the sports books ultimately make it in revenue when all said and done, uh, versus these capped payouts, which just seem seem crazy to me. Uh, Jennifer has repeatedly reminded people on social media to submit their feedback, so uh, I have to assume, as a as a smart person with experience in this industry, she's gonna fix that capped payout rule and and the parlay rule, or at least do everything she can to uh, to, to fix them. Um, they, they just feel like they were designed by someone who has no understanding of sports betting and, and how it works. It's like, you know, if I've never played poker before and I come in and I say, let's make our tables 12 handed instead of nine bigger pots, more fun, more action. <laughs> I'm giving away that I know nothing about poker and how <laughs> it works much. and what players want. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty confident that this will get fixed because if it doesn't, sports betting is just about dead on arrival in Tennessee. I think people will just stick to offshore books and illegal bookies if the house is locked in somehow to a 15% hold, which again, you can't guarantee a 15% hold. You can rig it so it's likely to have a higher hold, but I I don't understand how this cap payout would even work, how you, how Mm -hmm. they, how you can guarantee a hold percentage. Yeah, when the Titans are playing the Super Bowl, it's really going to be hard to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, don't rule it out. I guess we'll, we'll be talking about them later in the show. Sure. <laughs> All right. For our final story this week, let's look at the NFL season-long contest that concluded on Sunday. Uh, the most famous one, of course, is the Westgate Las Vegas Super Contest, where It Ain't Breezy finished 58-25-2 to win nearly $1.5 million, a game and a half ahead of second place, uh, while the entry from Tuco, which you may recall started the season 27 and 3 ended up in fourth place for $218,000. In the Sugar House, Pennsylvania Pick'em, where contestants picked outright winners, ignoring spreads, uh, but you had to pick every single Sunday and Monday game, 
The winner, Gary One, uh, which I just learned is a retired construction worker named Gary Heineman, for whom mm-hmm. uh, $125,000 is life-changing money. Uh, he finished 169 of 239, a 70.7% success rate. And then there's the contest John and I will have the most to say about because we were part of a U.S. bets team that cashed in it, the DraftKings Super Pool in New Jersey. Six members of the staff went in together on the $500 entry fee at varying percentages. Uh, John and I were both in for small amounts. Brett Smiley and Robert Delafov did the majority of the work for our team and made the final decisions, and they did an excellent job guiding us to a 46-24 and 24 record, 65.7%, which was better than Tuco's score in the Super Contest and would have been worth fourth place there. But, of course, the rules are different. There were fewer weeks in the Super Pool at Uh, Still, instead of a more than 100x return in the Super Contest, we got a little over a 3x return in the Super Pool. Uh, Such was the insane sharpness of the field. Four entrants tied for the win with 51 of 70, a ridiculous 72.9% against the spread. And because of the tiebreaker rules in the fine print, an entrant named V. Geronda won the $250,000 top prize, and the other three got $100K apiece. Uh, John, you can comment on the Super Contest or the PA Pick'em if you want, uh, but I'm more curious for your thoughts on the Super Pool, how high the winning scores were, and whether you think it's worth playing again next year if DraftKings doesn't have to add a million dollars of overlay to the prize pool again. Yeah, well, we definitely would have to examine how these numbers were so high in the Super Bowl compared to the fabled Super Contest. Uh, I'm assuming in both cases there was some opportunity to beat up stale lines from Wednesday on on, on Sunday morning. So we mm-hmm. did that a couple of times. Uh, maybe some sharps had a quick sense of the potentially large overlay here and adjusted accordingly to kind of go all in on this. Um, Finally, you know, we and our colleagues were talking about this contest on Twitter in the days before its debut and how short the field was. Um, I'd like to think that no one who finished ahead of us only entered because of our heads up. <laughs> but then again, informing the public of the world and legal regulated gambling is what we do, Eric. That's right. It, it, it is our duty. We're, uh, even, even if it uh, cost us a few bucks, possibly, uh, it is, it is uh, correct to report on what's happening and pr- place a priority on that over just trying to fatten our bankrolls. Um, but yeah, I mean, the overlay was everything in, in this. Imagine if there had been the full 2,000 entrants and you needed to finish better than 65% just to min cash. Um, so yeah, I, I would only be interested in playing this again next year if I'm seeing similar overlay. Um, otherwise, Happy to have made a little money this year, and I'm one and done. Uh, the the tiebreaker system was really unfortunate. Um, yeah. If four players had 51 wins, it came down yeah. to who got their 51st win first. And uh, V. Geronda had all of his or her picks in by week 16. Um, may, maybe they got lucky with that. Maybe they read the rules. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, but I think so. Yeah, I, I'd prefer to see a four-way chop, uh, although then DraftKings can't say that somebody won 250K. So DraftKings is much more interested in finding a winner. Um, But yeah, I'm still amazed by the sharpness of the field. You know, lines come out Wednesday, you submit Sunday, you talked about that, how there there is some staleness to some of the lines. Uh, You can also do fewer than five or more than five picks in any week. So, you know, there's a lot of wiggle room to help, um, you know, in certain ways that the super contest doesn't have. But Mm. uh, still, it's crazy that we were just a couple of wins (laughs) over the cash line. Yeah, we made it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And meanwhile, the the Sugar House contest, which I also entered and uh, did not cash, um, is is a fascinating experiment in sample size um, because you ended up picking 239 games instead of 70 or 85. 
And even if you don't have to worry about spreads, which should in theory make it easier, it's tough to finish in the 65 to 70% range just with that many games to pick. Um, I haven't run the numbers on this, but I think if you just pick the favored team to win outright each week, you wouldn't have cashed, uh, or, or at best you might've min cashed. So the, these, these season long contests are tough, uh, but they're fun. Uh, if you can get yourself a sweat and you're kind of in the hunt down the stretch, which was to a degree, the case for us in the super. Bowl. Yeah, it was fun. We, we had locked in, you know, money with a couple of weeks left. So just, uh, how high can we go? And we went mm, about half and half. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. When new writers join the staff at U.S. Bets, we usually give them a few weeks to get acclimated. Then we force them to come on Gamble On and let our listeners get to know them a bit. Chris Altruda joined the team in November, and now it's his time in the barrel. Chris was an editor and writer for Stats LLC for the bulk of the last 14 years, and before that, he worked for AP and for Sports Ticker. He lives in Chicago, so he's primarily covering gambling news in Illinois, Indiana, and other key Midwest states for us, and he joins us now on the podcast. Chris, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, so you've been covering sports in one form or another for about 25 years, but you're new to the gambling space. Uh, tell me a little about your personal gambling background. Like, do you bet sports, play fantasy, play casino games, et cetera? And what drew you to this job opportunity at this stage of your career? Okay, to start with the, the things I actually gamble on, I will do fantasy football. I will do fantasy golf. I discovered I do not have the attention span to do baseball because it's every day. And I've also reached that point in my life with baseball. I just want to see well-pitched games. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> fantasy baseball does nothing for me. I also bet on Premier League and Champions League a lot. I like, as someone who worked nights for the better part of those 25 years, like having something during the day became an interesting like side hobby. And when gambling was first legal in Jersey, the Premier League started season started when I was there. Mm. And I literally just trotted over to William Hill and just like, you know, I asked for like a whole series of prop bets and the guy looked at me like I had five heads. I'm going, so you're not doing the same things as you're doing as the World Cup? He's like, no. So, <laughs> but as, you know, as the market's matured, I'm starting to see those things. So I'm kind of happy about that. Okay. Coming to U.S. bets was an interesting, I guess, path. I mean, I was, I've been freelancing for the last three years. And one of my former coworkers at SportsTicker, Lou Monaco, said, I have a, you know, I have an opportunity for you. Do you want to write for Gaming Today with Steve Carp? And I'm, and I didn't know, you know, Steve from a hole in the wall, and I knew next to nothing. And, I'm, and that was my initial response to Lou. I said, I don't know anything. I said I can try it. So, you know, I had a conversation with Steve. He, he was eager to have me on board. I'm like, okay. So I asked Steve. I said, well, you know, what do you want me to write? He goes, just pick something a week, and you know, if you find it interesting, go chase it. And I discovered that, you know, legislators like want to talk. When they, when they want to promote something, which, you know, was kind of new and intri intriguing to me. So a lot of it was the sausage making. You know, you talk to Brand Iden in Michigan. You talk to, who's the guy in Kentucky? The state senator from Kentucky. But everyone wanted to share something at some point. And then you have the whole specter of the Chicago way and how gambling is, is now legal here, but not, you know, sports is not operational yet. Right. So about a month after I started doing that, Adam and Brett like followed me on Twitter and Brett called. He goes, you know, you have time to talk about an opportunity. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, another freelance assignment, kind of cool. 
So we're just going back and forth. So finally I go, so how much do you pay and how often do you pay? And Brett goes, so, well, usually we let you do direct deposit and it's every two weeks. And I sat there for about 30 seconds going, oh, wait, this is a full-time job. You're talking about, right? <laughs> so he's like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> so that's pretty much how I got on board. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And just to clarify for any of our listeners, that was uh, Adam Small and Brett Smiley uh, were the, the ones who, who tracked you down. And so uh, officially, let me just say, uh, I know you've been on board for a couple months now, but welcome aboard uh, officially from Gamble On Podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Chris, I want to talk about, you know, my first uh, pilgrimage to Wrigley Field, as I called it, 1986, uh, the Mets had a pretty good year that year, and it's a good time mm-hmm. to go out there. But I discovered in the bleachers, there was a game called Mound Ball. Uh, there was gambling going on in the bleachers, believe it or not, before Passify, I should add. And um, basically, everybody put a dollar in a cup, and then uh, nobody really noticed it before this this dumb gambling game. But whoever catches the last out in a baseball game tends to roll the ball to the mound and like really close to the mound. And like, sometimes it just barely goes on. It just goes over. And so if you have the cup in the, the, for the top half of the first inning, it's over. Everybody's watching and you hear, Whoa, you know, and, the, and it either goes on or off. Usually it doesn't stay on the mound. So you'll get to like the fourth or fifth inning and the, the pot is starting to build up and then it goes, uh, it was kind of informal and uh, there might've been alcohol involved. So it was a little of an odd game, but it was gambling. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious. Uh, first, if, uh, if you've ever heard of that game. Secondly, uh, can you picture the bleachers uh, either now or, or certainly soon um, being where there's a lot of gambling talk? I mean, I like to describe the bleacher crowds over the years have become sort of gentrified. So I'm not sure if this would happen so much anymore. Um, I had never, I have never seen it personally up front. One of my friends who plays like, you know, like regional baseball up in Kenosha and attends usually about 10, 12 games a year says he has done it. Um, <laughs> And I mean, like it is, it is interesting, but to go back to the bigger question about your bleacher thing, I, the area itself, I guess on, on the North side, I mean, when you have everything that the Ricketts have done in terms of renovating the area around it, they have the, the Zacharias hotel, they have all these, I guess, new and, you know, more upscale establishments. The gentrification thing I think is real. I don't know if it's as real in the bleachers since that's still kind of like, you know, the, the last bastion of humanity, so to speak, for, for the everyday person. But I mean, it's in the, I've been in Chicago three years proper. And I mean, the, the renovations have made a noticeable difference, I think, in terms of the clientele and also everything else. What I'm interested about with the Cubs this year is the fact that there's going to be an actual like serious like expectation for this team to sustain what it's done. Mm-hmm. And based on the moves they've made, it looks to be very challenging to see if they're actually going to sustain it and whether or not that's going to reflect with the, you know, the fan attendance and, you know, any possible moves they make before spring training. So it's, it's going to be a curious year out here, I think with them and also, you know, with the White Sox getting better, whether or not they, you know, I mean, in theory, the AL Central is so weak that they can contend. It's whether or not, you know, they become something other than an afterthought like they usually are. Okay. So will you be preaching to the gospel, preaching the gospel to the people in the bleachers of sports betting and how great it is? <laughs> I, I think so. I mean, I think, I think this, this, fan, this fan base is very intelligent. They're occasionally irrational at times, but I think it's a very intelligent fan base. And I think, I think when it, when it becomes available, I mean, the biggest thing right now is what I'm curious about is, with a full season of baseball, how many of them are going to cross the border into Indiana until it becomes available here? Because obviously Horseshoe Hammond and um, Caesars are doing boffo business for people making that short drive. Right. 
All right. So even though you're uh, you're in Chicago now, you're not originally from there. And uh, I understand that you're a Jets fan. Uh, so my condolences. Yes. Um, but uh, <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, their their record this season after Sam Darnold recovered from mono was very encouraging uh, with the Patriots dynasty, maybe finally winding down. What kind of odds would you need to bet the Jets to win the AFC East next season? First of all, being a Jets fan out here is the being the angry drunk twin of a Cubs fan. <laughs> um, my friend and I, I have another friend out here who's also a Jets fan who grew up on the East Coast, and we pegged this season before it even started as like seven and nine high end upside, and that's what they finished. Hmm. They need a lot. I mean, I would, in terms of odds, I mean, you know, would I take a flyer on them at like, you know, 10 to 1, 12 to 1? Yeah, I mean, it. you can see New England backsliding offensively a little bit. The defense is always going to be there. And, you know, until Buffalo, you know, scores 30 points in back-to-back games, it's really hard to say they're going to be an elite unit. But the Jets need so much. I mean, you, you need an offensive line. It was terrible. You need a legitimate number one receiver. I like Robbie Anderson. I mean, I like I like his effort. But – you know, at the end of the day, is he going to, you know, is he going to give you 90 catches for 1,200 yards? No. And, you know, and we have to, someone has to figure out how to use Le'Veon Bell correctly. But I think also a lot of that goes back to the offensive line being substandard. So, you know, they have to, I think they have the 10th pick right now or something like that. 11, I think. 11. I mean, part of me would love to have Jerry Judy fall in their lap should he come out. But at the same time, I also know it's going to be a useless pick unless you have someone protecting Sam Darnold from, you know, throwing the ball from his backside the entire time. So, but I mean, it's going to take a lot. I mean, to me, the upside for them is contending for a wild card spot. I don't see them being in the division hunt at all. Right. Well, I'm, I'm an, I'm an Eagles fan. And obviously the key with any of these teams, whoever your team is, you got to find that quarterback that's going right. to lead you there for a while. So well, I knew fairly early on that, that Carson Wentz, you know, will he win a Super Bowl? Who knows? But at least we know we have a good quarterback for a long time. Do you feel like you, – how yeah. are you feeling about Sam Darnold? I, I like – no, I like him. I mean, you, you can see – I mean, you saw some of the sophomore mistakes that, you know, they're, the first two years you're always going to get those quarterback mistakes that, you, you know, you can sit there, see it coming at the same time and as you watch it unfold in real time. You're just like, why? But, you know – those are the mistakes that you're going to make that he had that, you know, it's like the Al McGuire thing. The best thing about freshmen is they become sophomores. You know, you make that whole track record of mistakes and hopefully the second time around you don't make them, or at least you make a better decision that doesn't lead to a potential mistake. And I think he's doing a very good job of finding those, but also adjusting and making those correct decisions. The second time, like I think Gaze has said it repeatedly and it's kind of true. He doesn't make the same mistake twice, which I think is, a, which is a good sign for for that. Yeah, uh, Chris, I, I spent probably at least nine months of my life in Chicago without ever actually lived there, uh, mm-hmm. including the Knicks, Knicks Bulls, 1990s playoff runs. And I know what a great sports town Chicago is. Absolutely one of the best in the country. No question. But I, I have sort of an East Coast bias, right? I just don't expect a state like Illinois uh, to ever catch New Jersey in per capita, uh, uh, you know, sports handle of betting on games. Um, I've lived out there a few years. Do you, do you feel like that's true? Because I know they're, they're certainly into the sports. That's not a question. It's, but are they as likely to throw money down as somebody from say New Jersey is? I think there, there's two things at play with Illinois and sports betting. One is if they can figure out how to make a casino in downtown Chicago work. I mm-hmm. think that is one of the biggest things they have going. 
they did the economic impact study a few months ago and it came back and they said the effective tax rate of the casino and sports betting here, I think is going to be taxed at 15%, but the effective tax rate for the casino was 72% in downtown Chicago, which is essentially a non-starter. So they have, they have to come back and figure that out. To me, the wild card is the six casino licenses of which the city would have one. But there's one in Waukegan, which is in northern Illinois in Lake County. It's a county just above Cook County and along the Wisconsin-Illinois border. I think that can be a wild card in terms of handle because Wisconsin is not going to expand anytime soon because it has to open the compacts with the tribes. And a few years back, there was a dog track in Kenosha that wanted to expand just to a casino. This, we're not even talking like, you know, getting sportsmen. They just wanted to put a casino in and one of the other, and a second tribe essentially just blocked it to the point where even like Governor Walker at the time could not do anything. I think that casino can draw from Lake County, which is a very, you know, very large, like, so, you know, it's almost like essentially like a Jersey suburb of Chicago, but they can also pull in from Southeastern Wisconsin and Kenosha and Racine and maybe even South Milwaukee and get maybe some of that market that could contend. And the other places where Joliet, there's another casino in Danville that's, you know, going one of the other six. And also the horse racing licenses will be key because Arlington is in the middle of a protracted battle with Churchill Downs. I don't think right now they've committed to horse racing. I think it's either beyond this coming year or 2021 that license has to be settled because Arlington is still Arlington is still a really good place to go see a horse racing thing. And I think if they put the casino license in and they get the spots and they possibly get sports betting with it, you could see it there. It would take a while though for it to potentially match the Jersey handle. I mean, I don't think it would be a short-term thing like the way New Jersey has matured. I think you're talking a three to five year kind of look at it and see. And also, you know, if that downtown casino is open and it's accessible with traffic because, you know, it's the third largest market in the country and, you know, getting there is going to be half the battle, whether it's public transportation or even driving, depending on what people want to do. But I think it's a medium term thing in terms of potentially matching the betting handle. And also every, and the other thing I've noticed out here is that college sports is very big out here because it, it, Chicago is a destination for every big, t- like every bar in the city has a big tennis affiliation during college football season. So there's no lack of, desire and popularity among it. And I think if it becomes available, you're going to see it. I think you'll see it take off quickly within the city, like on the North side. And then as each thing, as each casino opens and each book opens, I think you're going to see it. I'm the rivers, the bet rivers one in uh, the plane, the plane by the airport will be a real good testing ground because that sports book, that sports book area is open and it looks promising. And they also, to their credit, Bed Rivers did it right by putting table games and slot fixtures around it. And it is readily accessible and also in a place where you can draw people right off the blue line and they have a shuttle and everything. All right. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Chris, you passed the gamble on test. Uh, it's been uh, great talking to you. I'll <laughs> note that uh, listeners can find Chris on Twitter at uh, Altruda73. So that's A-L-T-R-U-D-A-7-3. Uh, give him a follow. Uh, Chris, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, fellas. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Chris. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On Bankroll. 
We'll get to our final Fast Five results and our NFL playoff pick shortly. But first, we update our betting bankroll. And we ended the year on a positive note. Uh, Though we were on the wrong side of a couple of bad beats, we had luck on our side on a a couple of other bets. Uh, Let's break it all down. First, John crushed the overbet in Hawaii BYU. That was clinched with plenty of time remaining. We won $100 there. Next, I got a little lucky with my Clippers money line bet on Christmas Day against the Lakers. That game came down to the wire, but the Clippers eked it out, so we won $110 on that one. I got even luckier with my overbet in the Falcons-Bucks game. Uh, the line was 48. It was 22-19 in the closing seconds, but we caught the perfect run out, a field goal to send it to overtime, and a Jameis Winston pick six to give us a 28-22 final. Uh, so we won another $100 on that one. Now for the tough beats. John had Ohio State plus two and a half points against Clemson and a highly questionable call on what sure looked to me like a catch and fumble screwed Ohio State and us on that one. Uh, And our season long bet on Nick Chubb to win the rushing title was in great shape with Derrick Henry needing a 165 yard final game to pass him. Uh, Despite Freddie Kitchen spending all season underutilizing Chubb, there he was in first place by a sizable margin. And of course, Henry went crazy for 211 yards in week 17. Uh, So we lost $25 instead of winning $500 Uh, for what it's worth. I had bets on both guys in real life, so I was fine either way. And I also had Derrick Henry in a DFS tournament lineup that did well for me. Uh, But none of that helps our gamble on bankroll. Uh, Also not helping our gamble on bankroll, my $25 bet on David Carr to lead the league in passing uh, is officially a loser, although we've known that it was for quite a while now. Uh, But my $220 bet on Sony Michelle to go under 1,000 rushing yards won us $200. Add it all up, and we won 350 bucks this week, meaning we're in the red by $611, and we still have $860 on hold in futures bets after clearing out most of the NFL cash. So that leaves us with $8,529 available to bet this week, and you're up first, John. Yeah, that Chubb beat is horrible because the Henry game got flexed to three hours later because of the, uh, you know, they're they're more concerned about the uh, playoffs than our, our bet, unfortunately. So, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, yeah, it allowed Henry to know exactly what he needed. And because of the fluke of the Texans having nothing to play for, that helped the Titans grab a lead. And since they grab a lead, they can just keep running Henry because why wouldn't you do that? That's uh, that's how good he is. And so we deserve better on that one. Yeah, Ohio State, I'm not going to uh, – I can't regret that pick because it was – they're a better team. They got out coached a little bit and there was a, a call and – uh, move on but onward and upward uh, we have a title game in college football this weekend no I'm just kidding it's not until the following weekend because um, the coaches need for both teams they they need time to calculate all the six-figure bonuses they get on top of the million dollar salaries for getting this far so uh, uh, but we do have some NFL action um, I like the Saints kind of but minus seven and a half or plus 385 money line is not so appealing so I don't quite quite trust the Saints defense here. So instead, give me the over uh, on 50 out of bargain 107 to win 100. Okay. Uh, Well, uh, speaking of overs and unders on uh, NFL playoff games, I'm going to target one myself. Um, When the Seahawks visited the Eagles in late November, Seattle won 17 to 9, 26 total points scored. Since then, the Seahawks have lost Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. The Eagles have added Zach Ertz and Brandon Brooks to their ridiculous list of injured offensive players. And yet the point total is set at 45. Uh, I just don't see it. This figures to be a game where both teams have to get creative to move the ball. They will at times, but I'm expecting a final score in the 17-13 range, maybe 23-17. I don't really see either team hitting 30. Uh, But here's the question about how to bet it. Now, I'll let you weigh in, John, before I make a final decision. Do I do a standard under on 45 points, $110 to win 100? 
or do I mix it up and have a little fun with points bet? We, we've never done that on the pod, and I realize uh, it's usually better to do overs on points bet because you have a shot to win big. Um, but I'm thinking $10 a point with a 20-point or $200 cap could be a fun way to do this. What do you think? Bet it straight and save points bet for another time or, or try a points bet here? No, I like it. I agree with all your reasoning. And um, I think uh, both teams are going to struggle to move the ball. I mean, you can get beat by, uh, you know, pick sixes and such, but um, I don't even think that's going to happen. So, yeah, I, I think you can play a little bit with the points bet here. Uh, 17, mine, 17 nine might happen again. <laughs> yeah, it certainly could, in which case that'd be a nice win for us. So, okay, we'll do uh, $10 a point. Again, capping it at 20 points max in either direction uh, on the under. Sounds good. All right. Now, uh, we've just got a 34-player field in Hawaii uh, starting uh, mainly tonight on the East Coast. Um, the Tournament of Champions is the reason it's such a small field of 2019 champs. Um, looking for value here. I, I was looking around at a few veterans, but then I see Fina Matthew Wolf. He's a big hitter and taking on this par 73 course at 100 to win 275 just for finishing the top 10. So I'll do that. And another 10 to win a whopping 660 to, to boot, to win the whole thing. Um, these kids today have no respect for their elders, so why can't we just profit from it? Okay. Uh, now, with my second bet of the week, I might be giving away one of my upcoming NFL playoff picks here. Uh, but I think the Titans have an excellent chance of winning outright in New England on Saturday night. Um I'm not just overreacting to last week uh, when the Pats blew it against Miami and Tennessee beat up on Houston's backups. I think if you look at the last six weeks or so, it's clear that the New England offense is below average at this point. Tom Brady can't do it all himself at age 42, even with the hairline of a 25-year-old. Uh, and Tennessee is a really good football team. Maybe not elite, maybe not a title contender, but good enough to hang with this aging Pats team. I found the Titans at plus 198 on the money line. I think that's a great price, so let's bet $100 to win $198. Mm-hmm. And we finish with our NFL picks, and the Fast Five results are official. John Brennan is your champion this year. He went four and one in the final week, so no strategy I could have used would have allowed me to catch him. John finished 48, 33, and four. My final record is 44, 36, and five. Better than the record I won with in 2018, but not good enough to beat John in 2019. So we're tied at 1-1 in the lifetime series. Uh, 2020 will be the rubber match. Uh, John, take your victory lap. Any closing thoughts on the season and whether you did something different this year to improve over last year? Well, I'm some, somewhat between surprised and almost stunned by 58.8%, to be honest. That's pretty good. Yep. <laughs> uh, and and we we're talking about the stat lines on Sunday. We were picking Thursday mornings off Wednesday night lines. So yeah. we didn't have that, you know, late Friday injury to, you know, play with. We were going basically with live lines. So uh, I think I was around 56% through week 10 last year. And then I went 0 and 5 and 1 and 4. And I think after the first bad week, I just lost confidence in my instincts and I was just flailing away. And uh, uh, that's a little bit of a lesson. So uh, an expert was telling me you need about a three-year sample to see if you're actually really any good at this. And I, I think that's fair. So the jury's still out okay so by the end of next year we should know perhaps if i get 58 <laughs> again yes yeah, i'll, I'll say okay. i'm in so i'm good no okay. promises out there felt <laughs> right okay all right well we'll now continue a tradition we started last year uh, a mini fast five where we each pick all 11 playoff games against the spread and see if either of us can go 11 and 0 over the course of this postseason uh we'll alternate who picks first uh, i'm up first for the first game uh bills at texans uh houston is favored by two and a half I like the Bills here. Uh, they're on the wrong side of the hook, uh, two and a half, but 
I like them getting any points at all in a matchup where they're the more consistent team. And in my view, they're the better team. Buffalo is sixth in defensive DVOA. Houston is 26th. Uh, I think the Bills win outright. Uh, I'll gladly take them with a couple of points. Well, Eric, the Texans have had a massively tougher schedule. They have the same record as the Bills. And, oh, here comes J.J. Watt and Will Fuller to the rescue for Houston. Uh, so I'm very comfortable with this one. It's a good challenge for us. Okay. I'll give the two and a half. Uh, and then for the second Saturday game, the Patriots are favored by five and a half at home against Tennessee. Um, I'll make this pick first. Um, they say if you take on the King, you best not miss. But uh, they also say that all good things come to an end. And uh, so I like the Titans plus five and a half. Uh, you know, Ryan Tannehill, he's seven, seven and four as a starter. He's been around the block a few times. I don't know that he's going to get rattled up there. And uh, obviously Henry could have yet another big day. All right. Yeah, we're on the same side of this one. My pick should be obvious based on my money line bet earlier. So, yeah, I think Tannehill, Henry, A.J. Brown and basically a league average defense is enough to, to get it done, especially when they're starting with five and a half extra points here. Uh, moving to Sunday, New Orleans is a seven and a half point favorite at home against Minnesota. This is a tough one, uh, a rematch to the famous uh, Stefan Diggs miracle game two years ago. I think the Saints are the better team, but seven and a half points is a little too many in, in my view. Dalvin Cook should be healthy. Minnesota's defense is good enough to prevent Breeze and Kamara and Thomas from fully going off. I don't see a blowout here. I'll take the Vikings. Yeah, this was the toughest game, I thought, also. Uh, you know, as noted, I like the over better here, actually. But, you know, stuck with the line, uh, I'm going to gimpily go with the Saints. I uh, hope to avoid getting hooked there. Uh, another case of a visitor with a very thin resume uh, handling a step up in class, and I'm hoping they can't do it. And then um, we got a final game of the weekend. The Seahawks are favored by one and a half uh, uh, visiting your, your Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um I'm gambling that Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders both play, even conceding that I doubt we see Ertz uh, take the field. Right. Um, so I, I think the Eagles can stagger home in this one. Um, short week for the traveling Seahawks off a crushing loss to the Niners. Uh, all right. So we've got so we're uh, in opposite camps on two of these and in the same camp on two of these because I, I, I won't go against my team. Uh, maybe that's a get bad gambling practice, uh, but, but that's my Probably. rule. And uh, this will encourage both of us. Professional sports better Rufus Peabody says that his model determined that the Eagles should actually be favored by three. So who mm. am I to go against Rufus? Uh, and the Seahawks rarely blow anybody out. So even if my Eagles don't win. Uh, we get the cushion of covering with a one-point loss. But um, I think I think Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson can find a way one more time, and then they'll yeah. lose by like 40 to San Francisco next week. Agreed. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Chris Altruda. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling. And subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out. Well, Eric, the NBA had to say goodbye this week to David Stern, the former commissioner who died on New Year's Day at age 77. You know, Stern was good to me and all the beat writers, really, uh, aside from some acerbic comments in press conferences. But um, in the sense that he had a better sense than other commissioners, that even a quarter century ago, the more access the reporters had to players, the deeper the coverage was and the more relatable the players became for the fans and the more you can get the fans feeling, you know, loyalty to the team and the players. So uh, he was brilliant in that regard. Um, I wrote about a sports betting turnaround, too, in 
recent years today at njonlinegambling.com. But um, I want to mention one of Stern's strokes of genius I didn't mention there, the 1985 NBA draft lottery, which is their first one and one of his first acts in office, really. Um, in the years before that, the top pick went to a coin flip winner between the two worst teams in each conference. And so if you think tanking rules a day now, it was nothing. You had nothing on the early 80s. So you guaranteed a top two pick just by being the worst team in your conference of only 23 teams total. So 11 and 12. So uh, and what then was a center centric league. The prize of Patrick Ewing at Georgetown was just unbelievable for the seven sad sacks who had an unweighted lottery, by the way. So, I mean, the buzz around the event and it's it's legendary, obviously. But and the rampant, if never proven speculation, the struggling NBA was desperate enough to monkey with the results and had a number of team executives guaranteeing Ewing's going to go to the Knicks. Um, can you imagine if all this had happened in today's expanded legal sports betting climate? I mean, that very result would have produced wall-to-wall coverage and a mountain of conspiracy claims. I mean, even a bigger mountain they actually got, and they got a pretty good mountain. Um, but Stern was savvy enough at the time. He just knew there sort of is no such thing as bad publicity, so he ate it up until later years, and then he hated when we brought that question up. But, uh, but seriously, without Stern's 30-year term, there's little doubt the NBA would not be the market marketing behemoth that it is today. So uh, credit to him and uh, au revoir. And with that, until next time, gamble on.